Welcome back, all you beautiful people, to Booze and Buffy, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel one by one. We will be free of spoilers from future episodes, but full spoilers for any episodes that we have discussed in the past, as well as this one. I'm Jason, and I wish I were as highly organized and decently paid as Cordy's personal assistant in the Cordyverse. Yes. And I'm Harrison, and I too once went five years without an underwear drawer. Jason, what episode are we watching today? Uh, We are watching Angel Season 3, Episode 11, Birthday. This is the one that is basically the Wish 2.0, in which Cordy goes into a coma following a vision and while she is in that coma she gets to see what her life would be like if she had never bumped into angel in that at that party in city of birthday was written by mayor smith and directed by michael grossman and it originally aired on january 14th 2002 which incidentally is my brother's birthday oh it would have been his uh third birthday oh a little boy (laughs) all right hit it Jason, what are we drinking today? Uh, we are drinking some Viking blood. Yes, not the blood. Drinking actual Viking blood. <laughs> uh, this is a uh, this is a mead that um, I bought a bottle of way back when. Um, I believe I bought it right before uh, the last episode, which we had it. So yes, this is the same bottle because <laughs> I think I'm kind of like uh, John was with that mead that I bought for him. I think of like, oh, what's a What's a special occasion? And yeah. even on like special occasions, I forget about it. <laughs> I just like open it, open my fridge. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's that's still there. I mean, I hope it still tastes good. I'm yeah. sure it will. It's mead. It's mead. Do you remember what episode that was? Not at all. No. <laughs> Me neither. I just remember that I did like. I'm fairly certain that was I that was the first drink of it that I had, or it may have been like. With another friend mm-hmm. uh, back in December. So, okay. Okay. but yeah. All right. Uh, toast, Jason. Um, here is to. Here's to uh, you and John. Um, you all just had a very delightful housewarming party and uh, surrounded by family and friends. And I was also there. And it was uh, family, friends, and Jason. Yeah, family, friends, and Jason, and uh, it was it was a delight, and I'm incredibly happy that you two have settled nicely into this new home, despite the fact there was like an explosion, (laughs) (laughs) like what a week after you moved in. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Thank you, Jason. Cheers. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. My, like, if I have one complaint, is that it was a little cold, um, so we didn't really get to do much in the backyard. You did. You, you, you told me that you went out of your way to like find a cornhole set, right. which I don't think anybody played. Uh, or if they did, they, it happened while I was inside. It was pretty. Someone played it like pretty early on in the party. I think before you got here. 
Um, but like, you know, it's whatever. It was still a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, like, we, I mean, the house is looking great. I'm really, I'm very pleased. What? Ver pleased. All right. So, uh, yeah, Jason, why don't you take us away? Uh, oh, wait. I'm sorry. I, I neglected to mention something while we were recording God that I meant to bring up. So I just want to bring this up here. Uh, the scene where uh, Doris Kroger comes to the house while we were watching it was giving me such Lilo and Stitch vibes. Okay. Uh, when Cobra Bubbles visits the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, it just really made me think of the part where uh, Nani's like behind Cobra, like signaling to Lilo what to say, and she's just crushing it up until she starts like shaking her fist and Lilo goes, and I get disciplined. <laughs> Sometimes five times a day with bricks. In a pillowcase. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking love Lilo Winston. Oh, it has been a hot minute since I watched that movie. It's not one that I... I feel like it was It was one in that period that um, I did, like, you know, I thought it was... I thought it had grown out of Disney mm-hmm. movies. So, um, I didn't see it. I didn't see a lot from that period until, like, much later on. Yeah. Um, now my fi- now my probably my second favorite Disney movie is from that era, and that is Meet the Robinsons, and I revisit that one quite frequently. But other than that, there aren't too many from that from that stretch. I think that I still haven't seen Brother Bear, which was in that stretch. Yeah, that stretch just is kind of generally rough for Disney. Well, the thing like, is, I think I, yeah, there, there are but... some, there are definitely some hidden gems. Like uh, I did just watch Atlantis for the first time mm-hmm. in like thirteen years. Um, fucking slaps. Uh, and uh, I watched, um, and I, I a couple of years ago with some friends uh, did a watch of Treasure Planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, delightful, yeah. The Lilo and Stitch is one that I watched a ton as a kid, and I just like really, I just really liked it because it was very funny, and I was like, oh, these are funny antics. And then like got older, watched it as an adult, and I was just like, oh my god, this is like a really intense story like this little girl's both of these young women's parents died and like she's maybe gonna be taken away from her sister who's as a kid i thought nani was kind of a bitch but as an adult i'm just like oh my god she's 19 years old and is suddenly the caregiver for her sister sound like anyone else we know (laughs) (laughs) nobody that we're gonna talk about in this episode (laughs) no but uh anyway that was just my thing i meant to i meant to mention last week and forgot so fair enough all right, let's let's talk about Angel though. Okay, uh, we're opening up with um, the uh, the team trying to clean the uh, Hyperion lobby, uh, specifically Cordy and uh, Fred, mm-hmm. after all of the stuff that happened in Dad. For instance, Wes using a flamethrower twice. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I was grateful when Gun came out, also with cleaning supplies, because I was sitting there going like. Cordy and Fred are the only two cleaning. I'm going to be livid. No, but the... uh, And Cordy is practicing her uh, well-rehearsed speech uh, for which she accepts an award. She's practicing it for Fred. And... uh, Fred fucking loves it. Oh, yeah. Well, Fred loves... Everything. Fred loves everything about this group of people. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, they, they they are... She's taken to this 
to them as her family quicker than any of the other members of AI have. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, Gun does show up, and he's been using this industrial cleaner, so he's got, like, he's in full COVID gear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a... It, Funny enough, he's got a hairnet, even though, like, he uh, very famously shaves his head. Yeah. Um, that is actually something... So, uh, I've had a couple of jobs, including my current one, in which uh, you are required to wear a hairnet because you're around uh, production of either, in this current case, um, sterile drugs, or before it was, like, food production. And uh, I've always... So, they would tell us that if you were clean-shaven, you don't have to wear a beard net. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered if, um, if clean, like clean, completely shaven heads need to wear a hairnet. I don't know. Like, I think they, I think they've been made to wear it anyway. Um, and I don't, <laughs> I can understand Gunn having the mask on. I don't understand why he has the hairnet <laughs> on. Like, that's clearly just for the purposes of making it look like he's being sterile. Yeah. And he's also afraid that the cleaner that he's been using will also make him sterile. Um, Cordy, uh, uh, Wes comes back with some supplies. Cordy ducks out for a minute. And while she does, everybody gets ready because, um, oh, an angel comes down as well. Connor's just woken up and, uh, and Cordelia is the first one to, uh, she's the first one to, she wants to hold Connor after um, his nap. Uh, she goes into the she goes into the bathroom and while washing her hands also takes a pill mm-hmm. and uh, we're not sure what it is but she has not told Angel Investigations about it but when she comes out it is revealed that it is her birthday and the team has surprised her with presents and a cake a one what a cake. cake well it, it's interesting because it is I believe it's meant to be Cordy's face mm-hmm. and it is. Her in the Wonder Woman outfit, the classic Wonder Woman outfit. Uh, think um, Linda Carter. Mm-hmm. And, I must uh, said Linda Hamilton. And I was like, no, wrong, wrong badass. Sarah, <laughs> Sarah Connor. Um, wow, and then there's Connor. Uh, wow. <laughs> but uh, uh, not only does she have the Wonder Woman outfit on, uh, she also is wearing a cape and holding one of those crossbows that she always reaches for. <laughs> so I like how it is kind of like the... Uh, it could just be a Wonder Woman cake, but no, they add on the touches, and yeah. it does say Happy Birthday Cordy on it. I love it. Yes, and, uh, and you know, I like how Angel is kind of like trying to stand under his breath, like, hey, I got you this, this little gift, and uh, we know. <laughs> we know. <laughs> and, uh, and then all of Angel Investigations, like, also has gifts, and they have... They're all much bigger than angels, <laughs> which I think he notices. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, at, and Cordy's just like, oh, do I hold the baby or do I have presents? And then she's like, take the baby. And Angel says, oh, are you are you choosing presents over my son? She's like, no, no, take the baby. Girls having a vision mm-hmm. that throws her into the oft broken weapons cabinet uh, glass, which once again is broken. And this is violent. Like, it is. I mean, yeah. we've seen her have violent visions before, but like, and and you know, we've seen them get steadily more like intense over the last um, season or so. That that's been kind of in, in the background, but very much something that's been happening. Yeah. Um, but this is like 
obviously the word I mean puts her in a fucking coma. So yeah. Um and uh yeah, she is in fact in a coma and she is trying to give the details to uh the team. Uh however she cannot because she is beside herself in <laughs> that she's in a bit of a spiritual form, astral form, whatever. And uh she is trying to speak to the angel investigations team but they can't hear her and uh i believe that's when we get our credits yeah i i love this detail of the episode and it's a consistent thread throughout most of the episode up until she kind of hits that moment of despair um that while she is frustrated and upset about the situation her first the every time she tries to communicate with them it's always about making sure that they get the information about the vision first. Well, yeah, and that yeah. like that leads to that important moment at the end of the episode, yeah. so. um, or the episode's climax, not necessarily the end. Um, also, I do want to say um, I do have some problems with this episode. Uh, not nothing big, but um, one thing I really do like about it is it's a nice that it is a an episode that is not focused primarily on angel Mm -hmm. which has been like super heavy understandably so yeah um but it is nice that uh now other characters are able to get back into the spotlight because they've all had their like tiny moments cordelia probably has like the biggest moments in the last few episodes but they're still like tiny compared to what's been going on the main plot so the fact that um you know we get cordelia um uh pretty important episode for her development yeah even though it's a bit of a retread but uh um in so, I, I think it's a bit of a retread in that it is obviously you know an entire alternate world is created around cordelia but this one actually is important for cordelia in the I, wish I, cordy yeah. dies like halfway through it and she doesn't really factor into it outside of just being the one responsible for it yeah, um, it, it's more of a retread of just like, um, we already know that this is her, uh, I feel like she's done the whole I've chosen the visions before. Mm-hmm. I feel like she did it at least once before this. And uh, it's not that it's an unimportant storyline. It's arguably like the most important storyline for Cordelia. Um, but it it just feels like, it, it honestly feels like the, the construction of the alternate world Um was kind of just there for the for the episode runtime because it just seems like we always knew that she was going to choose the what she chose so um, that's interesting because i actually have a very different read on it okay it's less for me well I, that's me being cynical no <laughs> and like that's fine um for me my read on it is less that this episode is about her choosing the visions and more about her leaving this dream and this life that she wanted for herself behind of being a star of being an actress and like i know that it feels like six one half dozen of the other but i do mm. think they are two distinct threads while still being like tied to one another fair enough um um it says that Buffyverse Wiki says that Angel discovers a vial of pills, but I'm pretty sure Fred was the one that picked it up. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, sexist Buffy Wiki. <laughs> this, is, this is like fucking Samuel Tarly, like, taking credit for discovering John's parentage and not Gilly. Justice for Gilly! Anyway. 
I think I'm, you may be the only person I've ever heard say that. <laughs> I just remember that really sticking in my craw when that happened, where Sam's just like, I found this information out. And I was like, Gilly found that information out and told you about it, Sam. Well, Tarly. <laughs> well, Tarly. <laughs> and that's my only criticism of the final season of Game of Thrones. Um, technically, I think like uh, she found that information in the was that season seven. It would have been at the end of season seven because, or yeah, or sometime right. in season seven because the end of season seven is when Bran and Sam are talking and like they're they're lining up their stories, which then like show that John is That's the right. heir to the Iron Throne. That's right. All while John and Daenerys go to Bone Town. Yeah, which I'm I'm not gonna lie, fun way to end the season. But, uh... Goes absolutely fucking nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we don't need to air grievances yeah. about Game of Thrones. <laughs> However, you know what? Overall, I still love the show. Join us for our new podcast, Game of Thrones and... Grog. <laughs> More like Game of Bones. Yeah. <laughs> As in they really boned it at the end. <laughs> um, I honestly think, like... I actually do kind of think that it might end up being better on a rewatch, but uh, I'll, I'll cross that bridge when I come to I it. I rewatched season eight. I rewatched it when I actually bought the Blu-ray set. Mm-hmm. It, it did play better. Um, yeah. It still had its issues, but... It, it's honestly a little bit like, um, you know, you have these like high hopes and expectations for something, mm-hmm. then it doesn't happen, and that immediately makes you think that it's bad. Yeah. But if you go in kind of like... Um, I've been saying this about Brave. Uh, you know, like, the the trailers really didn't try to give you, like, an idea of the story. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I went in, and when you found out what the story is actually going to be, I was I remember not being too hot about it. I'm like, oh, okay, that that's a choice. Um, but then uh, on repeat viewings, which I've done a couple of since then, uh, I've really grown to love that movie. And it it's kind of because, like, I kind of knew the sto- knew what was going to happen going in yeah. and um so i'm kind of thinking the same thing might happen with game of thrones it's like um you know if i know what they're going to do and like i'll see how they do it and um yeah we'll see yeah it's still i mean it's still its biggest flaw is that it's rushed as fucking hell well and yeah that's, that, that's never going to change yeah but um but uh the pills that fred discovers are um cell tracks which is for migraines and uh, she obviously hasn't been sharing the fact that she's taking this medication with anybody. Um, Angel's immediately upset. So they decide to go. Um, and uh, um, Lorne comes down. And uh, Cordelia is very much hopeful that he'll be able to hear her. Because, you know. Because if anyone could. Yeah. Unfortunately, cannot. He walks right through her. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> also, we see um, casual Lorne in this uh, with, mm-hmm. like, the. With the shirt with the rolled up sleeves. Feels a little weird. He doesn't have a job anymore. He's, that's true. He's like... <laughs> but um, I do love that uh, you have. He's very much like him being in the Hyperion allows like all the team to work together, including yeah. Lorne, which I love. Yeah. Um, Lorne pretty much uh, discerns that um, this is not medical, it's, it's mystical. Uh, so Fred and Gunn go to Cordelia's apartment so that they can, uh, search for clues to anything that could be, that could have led to this. Uh, when they come in, uh, 
Phantom Dennis has prepared his own surprise party. Oh, um, and it's also when uh, this is also when Fred meets uh, Phantom Dennis, and we get like the second of two moments where you can tell that Gunn is super into Fred, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's really fun to see that because Gunn always kind of has like either he always kind of has either the rough exterior or the um, you know kind of like witty banter. And uh, to see him, like, actually kind of look vulnerable, like, his guard down, and uh, just, like, playing happy to be around Fred, it's nice. That's cute. Um, And uh, so while they're searching um, Cordelia's apartment, which, uh, unfortunately... and I feel like these tasks should have been swapped. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Fred is searching the bathroom, the you know that cabinet that's always behind the bathroom mirror, and uh, Gunn is searching uh, Cordelia's underwear drawer. Um, this is where this is where Fred comments how like she doesn't normally like keep stuff in keep stuff in her underwear drawer because she didn't have one yeah. for five years. Um, God, it's it's really. I keep forgetting that that's how long she was in Pylea, yeah. which is insane. She's remarkably well adjusted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know they don't find anything, uh, but then they like ask. Uh, they decide to ask Phantom Dennis, like, "Hey, Cordy's in trouble. Um, do you like know of anything that she wouldn't have told us? Uh, know you like? I know you and her are, like really close." But we kind of need to know for her safety. And that's when Phantom Dennis pushes out a tote from underneath the bed, which neither of them dis- neither of them wanted to look through, or neither of them, like, thought about looking yeah. underneath the bed. Well, Fred even says, like, you started with the underwear drawer, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but inside are just a dangerous plethora of bottles of medication some of which date back to a year. Yeah. And uh, and we don't see them in this scene, but presumably also the MRI scans that she'd been getting. Yes. And uh, wet, meanwhile, um, Cordelia's trying to reach Wesley just by flat out yelling at him. And uh, Wes is uh, reading up on astral projection. Uh, and Cordy reads over his shoulder. Um, so Angel is, uh, Angel is up in, uh, his room, like, watching Cordy sleep, and, um, this is when, uh, he kind of says that he's angry at her for keeping secrets from him, uh, it's like, I thought we trusted each other, and, uh, I can, whether this is well-founded or not, I can actually kind of relate to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's very realistic like mm-hmm. for Angel to feel this way. Yeah. I mean, while it is technically Cordy's own business, in the very most technical sense, um, she is, you know, like, they're family. Yeah. And, and, you know, especially Cordelia and Angel. Like, if, if Fred or Wes had been hiding something like this... You know, uh, Angel would probably say, "Yeah, it's not. It's probably not my business." Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's Cordelia, and we know how he feels about Cordelia. Yeah. And of course, and of course, he's also speaking from. He's expressing himself from a place of anger, mm-hmm. but it, I think he's speaking from a place of fear. 
Yeah. Um, that's yeah. That's coming out as anger. Right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, and he's just like keeps telling her like I could have helped. Um, Cordelia's like, oh really? I'm the one who's uh, who got separated from my body, and you're the one who's angry. <laughs> it's my birthday. <laughs> Um, Lorne comes in and uh, he tries to sense her presence. It does not work. All he can say is that Cordelia is not in her body. So that's when Angel just rounds on Lorne and says, I need to talk to the powers that be. And uh, Lorne keeps saying, like, hey, this is not an easy thing. And he's like, I'm not asking. I'm telling. Yep. And, uh, yeah, we, again, just more and more evidence of I mean, I'm sure Angel cares for everybody on the Angel Investigations team, but yeah. we know who he cares about the most. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, he has that line later where he says, it's one of my favorite lines, um, where he says, I'm more scared of her dying than she is. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, like, oh gosh, that's, that's such a, like, that's such a real feeling. Um, yeah, I, I can, I can totally agree with that because, you know, I'm sure that, like, people who are dying are, like, afraid of dying, but a, a lot of times people are able to make their peace with it as well, mm-hmm. but I think it's a lot, I think it's almost guaranteed that, like, your loved ones aren't going to be as quick to make peace with it as you are, because, yeah. you know, they're... They, they're the ones who have to live with yeah, it. Yeah, like... They're the ones who are left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Angel starts nodding off in his chair, and that's when Cordelia, like remembers the stuff about astral projection so she's able to possess his body for just a little bit and write she starts writing on the wall the address from the vision that she had because the girl was in danger um but uh there are all these like shapes that are whispering to cordelia and then they knock her out of angel's body and then uh, shortly after, knocked off a notebook from our my bookshelf. Yeah, that was that was quite a fun scene to for that to happen during. Literally, we're watching the episode. This spooky shit's happening to Cordy, and we just hear noise behind us, and we, we both turn around. And this notebook that has been sitting on a, on the bookshelf, um, it's the one that John had been like writing his lines in for the show that he's been doing, because um, that's his like method of trying to re- memorize his lines is like writing them down. Um, it just like fell off, and we were just like, "Well, that's fucking spooky." <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, there's like a bit of a distinction because uh, Harrison, you've mentioned before that you believe in ghosts. Yes, and, and Jason uh, is very much. And, and, yeah, I, I'm very much. Uh, he he is definitely the Molder, and I am the Scully, <laughs> uh, which I'm okay with. Uh, it's so funny. I was actually talking to John about this the other night because uh, I don't know. I was going off about some sort of religious thing and how stupid it was that people believe in whatever it was and he's like he literally went like Harrison your belief in the supernatural is wildly inconsistent and I was like <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> I mean it, it is really funny that um, you know all these other religions like I, I, one of my favorite things is like you know when Scientology became popular thanks to like you know Tom Cruise and other people a lot of people were like really eager to just be like, huh, that's so dumb. And I'm like, have you looked at your religions and compared <laughs> them to stuff that actually happens? And that's when I get like uh, nasty looks from religious people. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it's uh, I I'd like to think that I have an open mind, but my mind is only open when you have like proof for it. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's not necessarily an open mind, but like no, I, no, it, no, yeah, I think I, that's I will, an open mind. Yeah, I, I will say that like um, and I think all of my background in science has kind of led me to this train of thought that you know i guess like technically many things are possible that we haven't discovered impossible yet however you do need to like before i can really believe it there needs to be like some form of proof yeah um i don't think that's being closed-minded at all i think that that's very logical i mean um it's actually funny because um you mentioned scully i remember before i ever watched the x-files uh just hearing the kind of cultural misconception of the scully characters that she just like won't believe in anything like alien or whatever and it's really not the case for her character she's the skeptic yes but she is she's very willing even in like the very first episode she's like I'm willing to entertain the yeah. idea Skep- of aliens. Yeah, unfortunately, skepticism in general, I think, is viewed by people who aren't skeptical as like being closed-minded, mm-hmm. whereas skeptical is more like you're gonna need to give me a little bit more. Yeah, um, she's just like, just show me the evidence. She's very much like, I will follow the evidence. Um, and of course, it's also very interesting, and that's part of what makes her such an interesting and nuanced and. Uh, uh, Three develop three dimensional character is that she's pretty religious as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I, I've never watched through the entirety of the X Files, mm-hmm. it's something that I would love to do, but it's, just it's a also, lot. yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> um, I was really into it, uh, when I was a kid, like right after I got into Star Trek, I was into the X Files, and unfortunately, it was like the only thing, the only way to truly like that was easy the easiest way to watch x-files episodes were buying vhs tapes that Mm -hmm. had two episodes each yeah i think we might still have a couple of those in my parents house um and then so all i could do was just watch the uh watch what was currently airing at the time which i did see all of the last two seasons of the original run of the x-files so uh yeah Yeah. there's that do you have any other like uh, beliefs that uh, like in the mystical or anything like that? Um, if you don't feel comfortable about sharing them, then do, then don't feel the need to. But. No, not really. I'm like open to the idea of like psychic phenomena. Um, I'm very interested in like. I don't I don't I don't know how to describe what I'm what I'm describing but like you mean something like precognition or yeah um and like maybe like if there is like ways that like our literally our the energy like the literal energy not like mystical energy like produced by our brain can do more physically than we know how to... I don't know how to describe what I'm like... Well, no, I mean, I, I think I can kind of get in the direction where you're going. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, that, you know, we, we know a lot about the brain, but we also mm. know, like, a very small fraction of what there is to know about the yeah. brain. It's, like, I think about, like, animal... Like, like ants. 
have a fucking hive mind. Mm-hmm. So, like, how does that work? And I know that's, like, pheromones and stuff, like, have play a part of it. But I just, I find that conceptually very interesting. I don't know if I believe it necessarily that it's it's possible. Yeah, I mean, but... like, it, it, it's, I'm sure there's, like, a decent amount of biological research and, I mean, psychological research into it as well. Yeah. Um, also, the Loch Ness Monster. Okay. Any particular reason why? I love the Loch Ness Monster. And so I, you, just, I want it so to you, be You're real. just a fan. <laughs> I wanted the Loch Ness Monster to be real so bad. I mean, I I want aliens to exist so badly. Um, and at this point, there's nothing to refute mm-hmm. the existence of aliens. Um, however, we don't. we also don't have any proof that aliens exist uh but i mean i believe it's the i think that's the fermi paradox Mm -hmm. of like the universe is just too big for the uh the the universe is just like too vast for the um for the uh circumstances of sentient life to only happen in one spot yeah uh so yeah i mean It'd be, it'd be cool if like if it happened i i feel like if aliens were to visit especially our country it would not go well because we suck yeah <laughs> i'm like maybe it'll be like a i don't know there are some days where i'm just like i welcome our alien overlords like <laughs> anything's better than this fucking shit classic show. simpsons quote uh, <laughs> uh back to ants uh so um cordelia's thrown from uh from Angel's body, and uh, Wes has said that he is—he's looked at Cordelia's CAT scans, which we see later, um, and basically, she's dying. Like neurological activity is um, just petering out. Mm-hmm. And um, at this point, who should come into the picture? But Skip. 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 Um, Cordy's like. Are you him? Are you death? It's like, nah, I'm just a guy. <laughs> um, I will say though, um, I so I like how Skip has the kind of carefree nature that he had when we last saw him. Uh, however, he does get a bit more serious as he's mm-hmm. a much bigger player in this particular storyline. Um, yeah. So I'm curious. Um... No, I'm not. Never mind. No, go ahead. No, it's... it. I was going to ask you what you thought about... I'm going to cut this out, but... I was going to ask you, do you think... Spoilers! Uh, but yeah, and so Skip is there to tell uh, Cordy that she is in an astral form. Uh, normally, when people are in astral form, they uh, kind of like make the perfect versions of their bodies but Cordy's just the Cordy's just like what she down to the clothes like what she was like when she in her comatose body and it's like you must be very confident in yourself (laughs) like yes that is that is 100% Cordelia right there (laughs) yep um and uh uh, Cordy has a whole lot of questions um and uh she but most importantly she like asks like is he death and he's like, no. She says, okay, am I dying? He's like, yes, unless you come with me. And, uh, you know, she doesn't necessarily want to go with him because 
as nice as of a guy as he is, that <laughs> that exterior is a little uh, off-putting. Yeah, she does try to get him to pass along the message about her vision to the rest of the gang. That's not how it works. He says no. Um, once again, I just I just love seeing how dedicated she is to getting this like vision out. Yes, uh, but she does end up going with Skip. Um, so. Angel, Gunn, and Fred are looking at uh, Cordelia's CAT scans, and a lot of her brain is dead. Um, and Lauren enters and has just had the absolute shit kicked out of him. Um, and <laughs> he is unable to speak about the details of what he learned, but he did write it down on a slip of paper. And uh, this, so Angel's able to look at that paper and then find a way to get to a place where he can talk to the powers that be. Uh, it is really funny when <laughs> he starts like talking gibberish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just down the, <laughs> um, so Cordelia and skip, uh, appear in a shopping mall that is empty. Uh, skip constructed this area, um, because he thought that she would be comfortable there. He compares it to the matrix and um, which he loved yes uh we later find out that uh so skip is a fan of movies uh we later find out that uh he's not a fan of gladiator which made me a little sad i love gladiator i've never actually seen gladiator we can watch it sometime if you want to yeah i'd love to it, I, I mean I, i'm a i'm a ridley scott fan yeah for the uh, most part he's, he's got a few out there that, so kingdom i will of say it was not great what kingdom of heaven was not great you know i remember seeing that in theaters granted that's the last time i saw it <laughs> um that was actually the last movie i saw at uh, wait a minute no it was this king arthur movie I think that was King. Mm. I think he did that King Arthur movie as well. I mean, we or am I just King, confusing the two? We get a King Arthur movie like every five years or so. Like, well, this one—they're never good. This one was like 2004, maybe. Um, um, Ridley Scott. 2004, yeah. Okay, I'm like he has kind of like basically made Gladiator over and over again mm-hmm. in different historical settings, um, including a Robin Hood movie that. Uh, Stars Russell Crowe. Although, actually... What's up? No, it wasn't him. Okay, who was it? Uh, Anton... Antoine Fuquia? Okay. Directed it. It was written by David Franzoni. Maybe he was a... It seemed... When I googled King Arthur Ridley Scott, he should... That's what came up. That's what came up. So I'm wondering if he was a producer on it. Okay, I mean, it is very much in the, uh... In the vein of Ridley Scott. Mm -hmm. Um... Yeah, I, I I also saw Kingdom of Heaven in theaters, and I don't remember hating it. Uh, but then again, I haven't watched it in a really long time. I haven't seen it since. Like, I remember not care. I don't remember hating it, but I also just remember not liking it either. Yeah. Um, but no, and so I will say, I do associate um, Gladiator with Braveheart, probably because like I recently uh, got a two a four K two pack of. Braveheart and uh, Gladiator, both are historical epics, both won Best Picture. Um, I know that people give a lot of shit to Braveheart, and maybe they give a, a similar amount of shit to Gladiator, but I... And hey, it's like Armageddon. I am aware of how inaccurate it is, just as like... Because, you know, 
uh, Braveheart might be as historically inaccurate as Armageddon is scientifically inaccurate. (laughs) And a lot of people, like, give both of those movies shit for it. But who cares? It's, like, it's meant to be a big, like, you know, Armageddon was meant to be, like, a big um, world, like, apocalyptic blockbuster. It was fun. I had a great time. People who hate it because it wasn't scientifically accurate, like... Something tells me they don't look for scientific accuracy in everything else they watch. And uh, same thing with Braveheart. I mean, there are a couple of big things about Braveheart, including that there's one shot where a where a like production truck is visible, which (laughs) isn't great. But honestly, if you're not looking for it, you don't notice it. It's also not great though. (laughs) Yeah. That's the sort of thing though that I'm a little more forgiving for in I mean, in that period of time, it's a no, I feel like at that point that's a bit unforgivable. Things that are older, I'm a, I'm a little less. I'll, I'll give more leeway to that because they weren't expecting people to watch things over and over. I mean, or Braveheart have, came out in '95. Have like high definition televisions. Yeah. Like the speaking of Game of Thrones, the Starbucks cup. Oh, well, to that, me, that's, that's unforgivable. Yeah. Because not like they know people are watching that show with eagle eyes. Yeah, and that's that's just another sign of how rushed the production mm-hmm. was for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very much aware of almost all the historical inaccuracies in Braveheart, but I still I still like watching it. It's still a pretty cool, still a pretty yeah. fun movie. Um, so uh, in the mall, um, uh, he says that the visions from the powers that be were never intended to go to a to a human being. They were always meant to be held by demons. And this is when he plays a video and we get to see a little bit of Doyle. That's nice. Yeah. I think we mentioned when back when Doyle died that um the show does a really good job of not forgetting Doyle. Mm-hmm. Um and I, this is just an example of that. Now, I am... I cannot remember. I don't know if Glenn Quinn had died at this point yet. No. He, Glenn Quinn was still alive at this point when this episode aired. It, he would die in December of 2002. Okay. Um, but yeah, and uh, he... Uh, and then he introduces Cordelia to Tammy... Who looks remarkably but like Natalie Dormer, but isn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, or I think I also compared her to uh, Cecily Strong playing a uh, playing that kind of character on SNL just from the accent, which is really funny. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is a girl who had um, she's from the 17th century, and she had the visions. She had those for about a year, and uh, then one of them just blew out the back of her skull. Yeah, this is a gnarly makeup they do. It is. It's now. I will say the wig she's wearing is doing a lot of the work. Like, um, but I mean, it's it's more explicit than I would have expected them to have shown on mm-hmm. on network TV. Um, you know, I think these days something like that wouldn't shock me uh, if I saw it on. Well, I'd be shocked if I saw anything on the WB these days considering it hasn't existed for over a decade. <laughs> but, you know, if I was watching the CW and I saw something like that in an episode of 
you know, Superman and Lois, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's pretty standard for what we're, what we're seeing in yeah. these days. But in 2002, well, might have been pushing it. Pushing the boundaries. Um, Angel falls into a chamber, and there's a fire pit in the center. And uh, he's basically... Um, a lot of a lot of the people are saying that uh, you know his mission's futile, his death is certain. You know, same gloom and doom, blah blah, yakety schmacky. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've I've had that phrase in my head for like a while now because I recently like reminded myself that the Tasmanian Devil animated series existed, um, and uh, and Taz's dad. Honestly, probably one of the best jokes of the whole show is that. All the other members of his family are like normally clothed, fully clothed, and speak clearly. So <laughs> Taz is just this weird kid in their family. But uh, yes, uh, his dad is fond of um, referring to things like using shorthand of blah blah yakety schmackety, as well as drinking a fine glass of OJ. Nice. I remember learning that Tasmanian devils. Or, or like a real animal and it was very shocking <laughs> almost as shocking as finding out that reindeer were real animals <laughs> like... um i think uh i think that one for me was roadrunners oh yeah um because i remember it was like in grade school and uh was looking through like very early grade school and i was looking through like a textbook and it had like um all of the state stuff uh listed for each state including the state birds and uh, I can't remember if it's Arizona or New Mexico, but I think one of them has uh, their state bird is the Roadrunner. I'm like, those are real? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had this, like, thing of, like, animal cards. Uh, they were about, like, yay big. And, like, the front was a picture of um, the animal. And on the back it would have, like, kingdom, genus, species, all oh, of yes, that. The taxonomy. Um, and then, like information about like where they're found and what type of climates they live in and just like all that and i was like super into animals as a kid um i don't know if i've ever told you this jason but uh two of my like dream jobs when i was a kid one uh i wanted to just work at a zoo um well i do know of your affinity for the zoo yeah uh (laughs) so specific i wanted to be a country singing zoologist I wanted to have my own television show where I taught people about animals via country music. I mean, no, we, like, I mean, you have to think, like, we were at a, t- like, that was a time, when you were a kid, that was a time when, like, you know, you had Jack Hanna, um, mm. Steve Irwin. Zaboomafoo. Yeah, like, plenty of, uh, plenty of, like, those kids' educational shows. Uh-huh. Everything and, on Animal Planet. Yeah, like, and they like, and they're all aimed at. Uh, and I'm, tr- I'm trying to think if there are like any more big ones. Like Steve Irwin and Jack Hanna are the two that stick out mm-hmm. in my mind. Um, <laughs> and now I just keep thinking of like the Mad TV parody of those uh, Brian Fellow Safari Planets. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I. And I don't know, like how if it if they if those still exist today, or if there's like some kind of new one that exists for kids. But it does feel like uh, that they were very much into like, hey, learn about animals, and and they were all they were always really cool. Yeah. So, yeah, country singing zoologist was my was my childhood dream job. Uh, fun fact: I am not a country singing zoologist. 
I don't know, man. Maybe maybe that's what the world needs right now. Maybe it is. I'll go back to school, get my zoology degree. I don't know if they have zoology degrees that might just be... just. You can go to Skylar and ask him to teach you how to write country music. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> He'll probably be like, what the hell are you talking about? Do, I wonder if there are zoology programs or if that would just fall under like, like a biology degree. No, I think that... I do believe there are zoology specialties and probably like graduate degrees um i don't think uofl has the so. so i'm seeing like i'm seeing it referred to not as a zoology major but as a wildlife biology okay which would make sense all right yeah um separated from marine biology yeah right that is a big thing like i remember like uh you know when you're at the age where people are like kind of seriously asking you what you're interested in being when you grow up, so maybe like a late grade school, early middle mm-hmm. school, um, I remember like the two things that seemed to pop up from a lot of people that I heard was um, vets. Mm-hmm. So many mm-hmm. people want to be vets and um, and marine biologists. Uh, yeah, there's like a whole joke about that. There's an entire episode of Thirty yeah. Rock dedicated yeah, to like that, that idea. Yeah, I'm just now remembering that too. <laughs> it's such a, co- but you're right. It is such a common like. I I don't know. I think, I think, for like little kids, I think generally kids typically have an interest in animals. Yeah, like that's very common. Yeah. So, but I think also like this, the phrase marine biologist is so cool. Like, mm-hmm. I think there's something romantic about, like, you get to be on a boat all the time or a submarine. Yeah. Like, I think kids have, like, a very romantic notion of what it is when, in actuality, it's, like, many science jobs, it's a lot of, like, you're in a lab slash research, like, you know, it's not as much field work as it, you might it really, expect. It really truly does depend on the area. Yeah, that's true. Um but, uh, so Angel is basically trying to ask the powers that be if they could take the visions back from Cordelia. Um, they respond by just tossing him about the room. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a mature way to deal with the situation. <laughs> um, so meanwhile, at the, at the, uh, at the Matrix Mall, um, Skip is showing Cordelia a, uh, like what happened in City Of when she first met Angel at the Hollywood party and uh, says that Oh, what would have happened if... And he does do the John Madden, um, like, circling and, like, oh, what happens if, like, instead of going to Angel like you did here, what if this guy just, like, walks right past Angel and you meet him and go off in this direction? So, like, oh, I'd score a touchdown. So I'm I'm very happy that 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 association was made. Yeah, that Um, joke landed really well. Like, RIP, John Madden, and Pat Summerall, probably the best. The best uh, sports casting duo of all time. Um, I'm assuming you're just going to take my word for it. <laughs> I, I mean, they're well known enough that I know who they are. Oh, so okay. like, <laughs> well, I figured you knew who John Madden was. Yeah. I didn't know if you had heard who Pat Summerall was. Yeah. Okay. So I I trust you because I know who they are. Okay. And I trust you generally. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think you're normally full of shit, Jason. <laughs> They um they were the broadcasting duo when the Patriots won their first Super Bowl in two thousand one. Yes. It's actually like really fun a, a quick sport nerd rant, but uh, if you like watch the like this last drive where um like the the Patriots like they it was a tie game. Patriots had like um, less than two minutes left, and 
no timeouts, and they were, like, kind of starting from their own, like, six or seven yard line. And, uh, you know, you hear John Madden say, well, I think the smart thing to do now is to play for overtime. Like, you don't want to do anything stupid, like turn the ball over. And then, like, you just see um, the Patriots, like, they're actually, they're still playing. They're still, like, trying to get down the field. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of what the New England Patriots are doing right now. But then, like, you know, a couple plays later after uh, Tom Brady's made a few good passes and they, like, they get they pick up some first downs and get out of bounds and like a few plays later you hear like okay so now I am a fan of what the Patriots are doing now. like like wow that was a bit of a turnaround John hey, listen, I like a man who can admit when he's wrong <laughs> um but yeah and so uh, Skip basically says that um, if you uh, like you can choose to um, you can choose instead of like having met Angel, like you can choose to create a world where um, you never met him and became a very famous act and wealthy actress. Um, and uh, and he says like, oh, so like the powers that be would turn back time. I was like, well, they're not a fan of doing that. Mostly, <laughs> yeah. Nice little reference to I will remember you. Like we know they've done it before, uh, but they would just kind of write over history. So she would live her life mm-hmm. as it like already was yeah it's it feels very much like a dawn situation mm-hmm. um but i w- kind of at a much bigger level really uh, which i guess makes sense they're the powers that be not the yeah. monks that were <laughs> r.i.p monks um and uh but she it's choice um yeah in this life she wouldn't have the she wouldn't have to deal with monsters she wouldn't have the visions um, it would just be like, you know, her being this great actress and, uh, or she can choose to go to her body where she will be paralyzed and helpless until her next vision comes to her and she will die. Um, so Cordelia says like, no, Angel needs me. He needs to get this information so he can save this girl. And that's when Skip shows, uh, the chamber where Angel is, um, trying to talk to the powers that be and, um, you know. He says that Cordelia is a weak, uh, rich girl from Sunnydale who likes to play superhero. Um, And, of course, (laughs) Cordelia decides to leave right before Angel says something that, like, puts all that into context. I hate that trope so much. Yeah, you do. So much. And that is a that is a bit of a strike against this episode for me. It doesn't bother me in this episode... Because Skip deliberately takes her here at this moment. Yeah. Um, so there's a bit of a manipulation happening. I, here. I know that, but I just hate seeing it. Yeah. I really do. Would it have worked better for you if if Skip had been the one to say, let's go, before Angel says the nice thing? As no, opposed I, to, you just, you just. No, it's not still. It no, all. because, like, you know. Even if Skip had been the one to say, let's go, um, you still would have had Cordelia, like, making this decision based off of that mm-hmm. to do that. So, either way, like, the, the end the end would be the same, and I just, I can't stand it when it happens. Fair enough. I mean, I, I get, um, given later events in the show, why this happened, but damn, is it annoying, and I just hate <laughs> it. So, Cordelia makes the choice, and 
Skip sends her to this alternate life, and she is a two-time Emmy-winning star of the television show called Cordy. Yes. Now, I wanted to see who Cordy ousted as the Emmy winners uh, for this show. So, based on... I'm assuming you just mean, like, the last... I'm guessing you're saying that uh, it would be the two previous seasons of television. Yeah, so... We don't know how long Cordy's been running. Well, it can't be very long, because we're in... Cordy came to L.A. That's true, I didn't think about that. Yeah, Yeah. so I am going based... So she came to L.A. in the fall, summer slash fall of 99, and that party presumably happened in the fall. Mm-hmm. So let's assume Cordy went into production pretty much immediately after she met this guy. That would have put her eligible for the 2000 Emmys and then the 2001 Emmys. So that's and, what I'm basing this and on. And this would be lead actress in a comedy. Yes. So, in 2000, the nominees were uh, Patricia Heaton in Everybody Loves Raymond, yeah. Jenna Elfman in Dharma and Greg. I thought Darman and Greg would be on there. Uh, Jane Kazmarek for uh, Malcolm, Malcolm in the Middle. Middle. Yeah. Deborah Messing for Will and Grace. And Sarah Jessica Parker for Sex and the City. Patricia Heaton was the winner. Makes sense. Critics loved Everybody Loves Raymond. Ugh, I don't know why. In the next season, 2001, it's the exact same, uh, uh, exact same lineup of nominees except for Jenna Elfman. Um, she was not on there. It was Callista Flockhart took her place for Ally McBeal. Oh, yeah. And Patricia Heaton won again. So, in this world, presumably, Cordy beat out Patricia Heaton two years in a row. Um, and I think that's kind of fun that it's like, I don't know if this is deliberate. It might have been. I mean, they would, they're TV people writing in the early 2000s. They would have mm-hmm. known who the recent Emmy winners were. Um, so I wonder if that's maybe why they said it was a two-time, like, because Patricia Heaton had just won two years <laughs> maybe. in a row. Um, yeah. Cordy's show is very much in, like, that same vein of, like, late 90s, early 2000s comedies mm-hmm. um, in, that aren't, like, centered around the family, because obviously Patricia Heaton was Deborah in Ariel's Raymond. She was the beleaguered housewife slash mom. Um, oh, there's a trope I am not a fan yeah. of. Yeah. Um, poof. And they well, loved it in the early 2000s. They, they've loved it since the honeymooners. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, this kind of gives me a... Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but Caroline in the City vibes. Uh, so the one I was thinking was um, Just Shoot Me. Um, with the Wendy Malick one where she's like a photographer, yeah. I think. Um, however, uh, Wendy Malick was not the... Uh, no, Winnie Mal- uh, Malik was the model. Okay, that's right. Yeah. She was not the main character of that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that show was more ensemble. Um, this show is particularly um, about Cordy. Yeah, Caroline in the City. Who was that? I don't remember. I just remember like seeing commercials for it a lot. Um, and it seemed to be like focusing on... Leah Thompson. She was a cartoonist. Okay. Wait, Leah Thompson is that um is that the girl who played uh Lorraine in um in Back to the Future? Yes, it is. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I never really saw Caroline in the City, but I saw like um you know like the opening for it. Um, 
I saw probably like little cold opens and stuff, mm-hmm. and I remember the vibe of it, and that's kind of the vibe that I got. Except like you know, obviously there's a little more like glitz. It seems there's a little more glitz and glam mm-hmm. with um with Cordy. The opening credit sequence of it uh, also was giving me a bit of uh, Mary Tyler Moore show. Yes, vibes. especially with the hat. Especially with the hat. Yeah, yeah that's uh, which I mean has to be a deliberate. Oh, absolutely. Um, also, also, yeah, I'd also say like even probably a little bit of like Laverne and Shirley too, because there's mm. like a the one that specifically made me think of that was um, her spilling like a tray of food on us. Oh yeah, uh, yeah like that. And like, ooh, there's some there's some shamil uh, shamazel vibes right there. I um, I also just love the this was so of that era the self-titled sitcom yep um oh ellen ellen you had ellen you had um and obviously i mean everybody loves raymond yeah and even if it was everybody hates chris even (laughs) if you weren't even if it wasn't a self-titled sitcom you had so many where like home improvement where tim allen played tim taylor yes like Tim the Tool Man Taylor. <laughs> God, that, I love the that George show. The George Lopez show. Like, shit like that. Like, yes. It was such a... And I know that it isn't exclusively of that era. I just mentioned the Mary Tyler Moore show. But, mm-hmm. like, it really came back with a vengeance in the 90s and early aughts. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I freaking love Home Improvement. <laughs> I, I remember watching it and, with my dad a lot, and I always enjoyed it. Yeah, and that was kind of like a... And that was like a, you know... That and the Lion King kind of like combined together to make Jonathan Taylor Thomas mm-hmm. like JTT, yeah, uh, to the, make him JTT, yeah, like. to make him like the huge star of the '90s and 2000s yeah. that he was. He was so ubiquitous; his initials were all you needed. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, so um, people love Cordelia, um, and uh, you know she's like, and uh, she has her personal assistant who I think is named Lynn. Um, we watched a deleted scene of this, uh, for this episode that was basically, um, after you see the intro to the Cordy show, it shows a scene Mm -hmm. that is like, it's not good. It's not good. But I feel like the punchline at the end of the scene was pretty funny that we laughed at. Um, oh yeah. It's like Cordy just like, um coughing because she said that she was going to pretend to cough and be sick and she's just like looking at them fake coughing and then just assuming that they like get like oh yeah i'm sick so i'm out <laughs> but she's just coughing um the i meant to say this the cordy theme song is sung by uh Martin david Oxen and david greenwald yeah um uh, i like to imagine that they are reprising their roles as parking ticket lady and uh and mustard guy who in this <laughs> version of reality actually got a big break uh in uh a- after that episode a talent scout was actually in sunnydale during yeah, but, the musical yeah but here's the thing like if they kept like singing wouldn't they have exploded no they just the, they now they're just singing for money oh okay. they're not compelled <laughs> to anymore gotcha they they, they realized this, how much they love yeah it. this talent scout was in sunnydale during the musical and he he saw that parking ticket lady. Boy, what a day. What a, he, oh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and so he brought them to L.A. And this is actually the re-recorded opening sequence. It was sung by uh, the it was Shania Twain sung the original version uh, for season uh, seasons one and two. Damn, she was big at that time. Yeah. So, I mean, hell, she's. I think she's like had a resurgence as of late, too. Good for uh, her. 
because I feel like I see a lot more stuff about Shania Twain than I ever thought I'd see in 2023, but... Love it. Love that journey for her. Yeah. um, So uh, Cordelia, while her assistant is just like, oh, what do you need? And she's like trying to think of a word that's in her head, and she comes up with Hyperion. Her assistant immediately knows that's the hotel, and she's like, okay, book a room for me. I'm heading there. Um, It's like the best assistant in the world. She first says hyperthermia he's like he's on it he's like get a tub of ice for miss chase's room and then she's like hyperbaric and he's like get an oxygen tank she needs to pay him she needs to give him that christmas raise that she's that he's asking for yeah um cordelia goes to the hyperion which is a working hotel um the desk clerk says he's checking her into the luxury suite um but then she notices a also like this poor desk clerk is just flummoxed <laughs> by the famous Cordelia Chase being um, in yeah. in the hotel. Who wouldn't? I mean, yeah. However, Cordelia is drawn to the standard room that is, um, you know, Angel's room where her body is in like actual reality, um, and she starts seeing like the other reality like flicker in, and uh, she. She um, is drawn to the spot where she drew the uh, address, which is still there. She just had to peel away some wallpaper that the clerk never really liked anyway. <laughs> Bad wallpaper. Um, I, I, I feel like when I say this, you're going to be like, oh, obviously that's where your man- mind went. But uh, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Oh, yeah. Which, when fucking Velma... Or no, it's Daphne who's doing... No, 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 no it's, it's Velma. Velma. It's fucking, like, scraping away the, the the wallpaper in the kitchen. And she's like, what the fuck are you doing to my house? Yeah, and, and it's so great because you would think they're like, oh, yeah, so there's clearly going to be an explanation that, um, that everybody would be like, oh, well, it's a good thing you did that. But then, like, um, uh, Miss Lemoire. Uh-huh. Miss Lemoire says, like, well, of course, there's plenty of stuff from the old ships that are used in the construction of this house. <laughs> I could have fucking told you yeah. that. Velma, though, she, I don't think she even apologizes. Velma don't give a fuck. <laughs> I mean, in, in fairness, they are evil cat women. They didn't know that at the time, That's though. true. Evil lesbian cat women. Um, but Cordelia decides to go to the address, and... Uh, the door is answered by Cynthia York, who is a huge fan of hers. And um, she's like, why are you in Reseda? And um, and she's like, hey, uh, can I just like come in and like, you know, just talk for a little bit? No, this is weird. But she's like, but of course, she's like, of course. And she then... Uh, yeah, I yeah. do the same thing. Like, yeah, and Courtney Adams walks up to my door. I'd be like, why are you here? Please come in. Like... <laughs> More like, please come in, why are you here? (laughs) What can I do for you? Please, Ted, have a have a Coke. Have a have a joint. (laughs) That's all I want is to smoke a joint and have a Coke with Amy Adams. I bet she would be really fun to smoke a bowl with. Oh fuck yeah. Uh but um so Cordelia's checking on what um Cordelia's checking on like how things have been for Cynthia. She says, like, oh, you know, my dad left. Uh, my mom's, like, in um, in Ojai, uh, which is spelled 
OJAI. <laughs> For those of you who aren't familiar with uh, those wacky cities in California. For like a split second, she was like, when she said, oh, she's up in Ohio, I thought she was going to say Ohio. And I was like, Ohio is not up from California. Depends it's... on where in California you are. True. And I guess, I guess in LA, that is more Southern California. Yes. So, okay. It's, it's, it's not like diagonal. Yeah, yeah. It's not as far South as uh, San Diego is, but it's not... I think it might be like maybe an hour or so from San Diego. Um, I'm probably wrong on that, but San Francisco is more north. Exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, but then, and so you know, Cordelia is like a little sad for her, but then Cynthia's like, "Oh, check out this! You want to see something cool?" And it's a pentagram. So girls like ready to uh, cast a spell that will make her father want to come back and be with them. Oh, oh boy. I love how Cordy's like, listen, girl, I'm from Sunnydale, so I know that we need to get the fuck out of here. And, uh, so, and a demon does appear and starts attacking the two women, but, uh, Wes and Gunn show up and are able to kill the demon. However, this is Wes and Gunn from this alternate reality. Gun seems pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wes, however, is the one to kill the demon. Uh, Cordelia's surprised because the last time she saw him, she, he more fainted in front of demons. Yeah. Accurate. And uh, he's also lost an arm. He says that he has lost it in a fight with a Kungai demon, which is the demon that he was searching for when he first shows up in LA mm. when he's a rogue demon hunter. Okay. See, I was wondering if that was... If that was going to connect in some way to... So presumably without Cordy there during that adventure. Yeah, it. I, I feel like um, Cordelia was kind of the reason that uh, Wes was more amicable to like team up with Angel at first. Mm-hmm. Or, may, or maybe um, Cordelia was the one to convince Angel that Wes didn't have the Wes was going to get his ass kicked by this demon. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that Gun it makes sense that Gun is more or less the same because even though he, he met he met Angel independent yeah. of independent of independent Cordy. of Cordy. And they're friendly, but they're not really They haven't gone through the stuff because, you know, when um when Wes and Gunn really like became bros. Uh, it was when they they and Cordy were separated, were mm-hmm. like you know detached from Angel. Yeah, and uh, I believe like you know Cordelia was probably the one that like fostered that yeah. environment where hey let's be friends. Yeah, and of course Fred is nowhere to be seen because they without Cordelia was to... the reason that they yeah. went they went to Pylea. Yeah, so oh. So now she's at, see that's the that's, real reason she should have gone back to the other world. She's like I can't leave my girl in my yeah, yeah, Now she's at year seven. <laughs> um, so uh, Wes catches Cordelia up. That um, when Angel came to L.A., he was broken. Um, maybe not necessarily broken, but definitely in need of a purpose. Mm-hmm. And still met Doyle. Doyle still died. But instead of passing on the visions to Cordelia, he passed the visions on to Angel. And while Angel isn't dying from the visions, he is just cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs because of them. He has been traumatized. Mm-hmm. And 
it is it is fun to point out that Cordelius is like, so wait a minute, so he just has visions and you guys go and like kill demons? So like the worst job ever. <laughs> um Yeah, so I think I do think one like you're right, it is partially the visions just driving him nuts. But I also think too, it's not having Cordelia's presence. Yeah. Like also do you know what this means? Darla's still alive. Yes. That's not what I meant. Alright. Doyle gave Angel the visions. Oh, the kiss? Mm-hmm. Smoochy smoochy. Yes. That's my gay agenda. Fair enough. <laughs> um I, I listen, you know I, Angel, by virtue of being a vampire, is canonically bisexual. So but uh, yeah, we we see um, we see Cordelia having a lot of concern for Angel, even though in this reality she hasn't seen him since si- high school. Yeah, since uh, since pretty much like you know the day that the mayor turned into a giant snake. We always come back to the giant <laughs> snake. Always, uh, it's a formative event in a young person's life. It is when you have to blow up your giant snake mayor at your high school graduation. Yeah. Everyone does it. We all go through it. <laughs> it's. I feel like you just need like Eugene Levy from the from the American Pie movies. Like it's a perfectly natural thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, uh, they end up um, like they're they're currently based in uh, Wes's apartment, mm-hmm. and uh, Wes shows uh, Cordelia the room where Angel's been in. It's basically got a mattress and some chains to, like, restrain him when he gets feral. And, uh, you know, he's babbling, incoherent. And so and so that's when she sees him and says, like, everything will be okay. She kisses him. And you see the powers going from... Uh, you see the visions going from Angel to Cordelia. Everything freezes and Skip shows up. It's like, hey, we had a deal. And uh, she's like, no, like, I know why I'm here. I know this is, like, not just, like, the mission of Angel Investigations, but also this is my mission, my purpose, so I need the visions. And he's like, you know, you're going to, like, you have a vision and you're going to die. And she's like, is there a loophole? There's a small loophole. And that is that um, she can come back and, uh, like, she can come back, have the visions, but she'll be part demon. Kind of like what Buffy's going through mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, hey, we did talk about her. Yeah, it is. Um, but uh, he says this, the process is painful and dangerous, but she says, nope, do it. And so she immediately awakens the Hyperion, and uh, she checks for horns and a tail. Doesn't have any. And she's like, oh, thank, oh, thank the Lord. And um, she starts telling the team, who are like kind of baffled at her quick recovery, like, um, oh, I have this vision, and um, she, you see that there's like no pain, like all that stuff is gone. And uh, she's like giving all these details, and everybody's like, "What?" And um, and she's like, "What?" Because everybody's staring at her. It is because she is levitating yeah. off the ground. And that is birthday. Birthday. Um, I don't think it's gonna shock anyone. That I really, really like this episode. A Cordy-centric episode? What? Harrison likes it? Um, 
Yeah, I've always just, I've always really liked this one. This is one that, like, even if I'm not doing a rewatch, is one that I would just sometimes put on. Um, I not I, I like just conceptually the kind of alternate universe, and I like that Cordy actually gets to be like the center of the alternate universe this time. It reminds me a bit of Turn Left um, from Doctor Who, which is of course my favorite Doctor Who episode. Um, and and yeah, I like how even though the episode is all about Cordy's development, it also shows how essential Cordy is to the team. And not just Cordy's visions. It, it's kind of less the Wish 2.0 and more of a Cordy having a It's a Wonderful Life moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, this really is... I do I, I do think this is the turning point for Cordelia where she, she does, by the end of this episode, she closes the door on ever having any sort of normal life. Um and does so without hesitation. Um, and I just, I really admire that. That is that her. is probably like the thing that I'm, I'm not as huge a fan of this episode, but that is kind of what, that is kind of what makes um, the stuff that I wasn't a huge fan of worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that like, you know, we've seen her agonize with this decision before, um, but uh, there was no like, apart from the, like brief sin in the alternate universe like when it came time it was like just absolute certainty mm-hmm. and that was really nice to see yeah um and i also just really like the cordy credit sequence it's always fun um i'm glad they cut the the actual scene from the episode it was it, bad <laughs> it wasn't very good like um, i think it was meant to kind of show just how cheesy that sitcom writing could be yeah and it, it wasn't oh yeah i think it was a great example yeah. of, a, of an early aught sitcom um but it was a little too long and it it wasn't bad enough mm-hmm. you know what i mean like um so I'm, I'm glad they cut it it's fun to watch on the dvd as like uh as, like as an extra like i enjoy having it there as a deleted scene to be like oh that's that's cool that they did that but um it really would have dragged the episode down, pacing wise and all that. But um, yeah, overall, I'm I'm a fan of Birthday. I'm glad that we get Cordy back in the spotlight, and we really take her arc that's been building ever since she got the visions um, to its next step. Um, I also enjoy that it retroactively does make all of Xander's love interests uh, demons in some way. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I. I'm going to give this episode four tubs of ice in a hyperbaric chamber out of five. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think I'm going to give it a 2.5 Cordy Cakes out of five. 2.5 Cordy Cakes. Um, Yeah, I just, again, like a lot of it feels like a retread. Um, I don't... The... uh, it seemed like there could have been an easier way or like maybe something that they hadn't done before mm-hmm. other than like create an alternate uh, reality. Um, it, it's, it seems like they've gone to the well. They've gone to that well a couple times and I think that like the episodes that they have done it like The Wish are better than mm-hmm. this one. Um, alternate universe wise, like the alternate universe that we see. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it, 
I, I feel like it was a long road to get to something that could have been told a little more concisely. And you were talking about like, uh, oh, would have dragged the pacing down if they had put in that. And like, yeah, and I think the pacing was already like kind of <laughs> a little, a little low anyway. And like, you know, some of the scenes just seem out of place. Like the the angel talking to the powers that be. It feels very out of place in the episode and more just kind of meant to be there for that specific moment mm-hmm. that I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's I there's good stuff in this, but there's also stuff that I'm personally not a fan of. So I think in the end it kind of evens out, which is why I give it the middle of the road. Cool. All right. Anything else before we skip on out of here? Nope. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on Booze and Buffy. We will be back. We will be back next week with Angel Season Three, Episode Twelve, Provider. Ugh! Listeners who have listened to our Hot Takes episode will know that this is Jason's least favorite episode of Angel before this rewatch. Before this rewatch. So yeah, tune in next week to find out uh, how how. If slash how Jason's opinions will change, or if they'll just, or or if they'll hate it even more. I mean, there have been some clunkers that I've like remembered, like uh, um, that old gang of mine and Ooh. Shroud of Ramon have been, and I hate saying that because those are two like those are two episodes that focus a lot on gun, mm-hmm. and I feel really bad about saying that those are like probably been my two least favorite episodes of the rewatch so far. But they're like very poor mishandlings of yeah. gun and just bad storytelling in general. Yeah. And I hate that I had to be the one to talk <laughs> about all that stuff in that old gang of mine. Uh, no, but it's fair. I as much as we love gun, I think it's fair to say that gun often gets the short shift when it comes to episodes dedicated mm-hmm. to him. But anyways, I'm Jason. You can find me on Instagram at yamij three five seven. And I'm Harrison. You can find me on Instagram at Harrison Alexander Kaufman and on Twitter at Harrison Kaufman. That's C-O-F-F-M-A-N. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Booze and Buffy, or you can email us at boozeandbuffy at gmail.com. In all of those cases, the and is spelled out A-N-D. Yes. And don't forget to subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Go in there. Give us a five-star rating. Don't give us a four don't give us a 2.5 like we gave birthday. Give us a 5. I was the one who gave it a 2.5. Yeah. I said 4, though. Oh, okay. Was, you were referring, referring to both, both of it. Okay. Yeah. Um, each week, we like to give a shout-out to a worthy charity or nonprofit. This week, we're highlighting the Alliance for International Reforestation, or AIR. AIR's mission is to implement educational programs, reforestation, and regenerative farming methods in Central America in order to protect water sources, build soil health, prevent mudslides and erosion, uh, prevent lung disease, and provide more nutritious crops while protecting the earth. Visit www.airguatemala.org for more information. And as always, go slay and be gay. Bye.